from the pit of the all-powerful Sarlacc, it's the IGN DigiGuys! And now, please welcome the special edition re-release of Wade Major and Mark Kaiser! Hoo-hoo! <laughs> tall order! Corey, who's that? That intro was written by Stuart Moncure, and it will be slowly digested over a thousand years. <laughs> I love Corey's reading. Wait. Uh, yes, sir? I'm busy. What are you doing? I'm writing a girl on J-Date. You are not. I am, right now. <laughs> I swear to God, right now. Well, you were you were setting up the show, and I had five minutes to kill, so oh I had a couple emails. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I know. It's so sad. Well, that actually dovetails with a, uh, a DVD that we're going to talk about in a moment. A J-Date, the motion picture? Uh, very similar. Very wow. close. We'll get to it. It's, it's, it's over here in the television pile. Um, are you ready for the, uh, the artist to win everything and just perplex all of the executives at studios? You know, and, and but the studios won't care. They, I know, that's the, that's the studios the will not thing. be like, wow, we should make movies like that because it'll no. win the Best Picture Oscar. They, they don't, don't care. care. No, they don't. Because ultimately, how much money will the artists make worldwide? Now, relative to cost, it'll be fine. Well, they don't get a piece of it worldwide. They get only the, I mean, Weinstein only Weinstein gets the American. Only gets the, the domestic. The American, yeah. Uh, so well, the studios worldwide, look, it's already made over $100 million. But the studios look at that. All they look at is what's, what's it going to bring to them. Well, you know. If we made a movie like that, what would it bring to us? The answer is not enough. The, the, this is the thing that always perplexes me, and we won't spend too much time on this because people have heard us rant before, and they know all of my, my peeves and my beefs and my, my uh, rant monkey feelings. But it, it, if, you're, if, you buy, if you buy a piano factory, why would you retrofit it to start manufacturing sofas? You bought a piano factory. The, the core business are pianos. If you don't want to manufacture pianos, go buy a sofa factory. If you buy a piano factory, manufacture pianos. And what's happened is the people who bought the studios ultimately are realizing they don't really want to make movies. They want to make toys and video games, and they want to make a lot of other things. Well, they, they want to make money. Well, they want to make money, but the movie business is, is, is about a particular kind of product that they're increasingly not interested in. Because it's too volatile. You, it, you, 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 you cannot then uh, why then why, get, then why get involved in it? Why even buy into that you, business in the first place you know, and try to make it something that it's not, that it was never meant to be? Why not just start that other business yourself? Because if you could be like relativity and you can codify the process to, uh, down to a spreadsheet mm-hmm. where you feel that if you greenlight this movie, yes. your spreadsheet says it will make X profit. Yes. If you can actually get the movie business down to a science where you know right. what a movie is going to take in. No brainer, and that would be that would be the relativity that just recently lost its primary financier, and then had to get an emergency gap loan to stay afloat and bake its payroll. Yes, and, w- and which now actually sold a huge chunk of its business off, just trying to stay afloat because the spreadsheet works so well. That would be that because one. its last three or four films tanked so horribly. That is true. Yeah, see exactly what we're talking about. So you know, movie studios need to be run by people who love movies. Yes. That, really, the only one left, really, I think, I don't know, is probably Sony. Sony is. Sony's the only one left. It's the only now, one left. Now, here's the thing. That's, that's, and that's only because of Amy Pascal. Yes. Amy Pascal has that mentality. And, I mean, you find in the indie world, certainly Harvey Weinstein has it, and uh, Tom Wartenberg has it over on Open Road. Uh, you know, Fox Searchlight, uh, sure, you know. Sure, sure, But the thing is Nancy, that, is that Na- I mean, Nancy over there at Fox Searchlight, Nancy and Steve are, are terrific people. They're but the, great. But the difference is that these companies... They don't develop these things in-house. They go no. to a festival. They pick up a couple of uh, Sunshine mm-hmm. Cleanings or Little Miss Sunshines yep. or whatever. 
and they put their name on it, and people think that Fox Searchlight is Little Miss Sunshine. No, they went to a festival and picked it up. System's broken. System's broken. You know what, Mark? One of the more interesting categories at the Oscars this year is uh, the documentary category. It's always and interesting because it always sucks. It always sucks, and a lot of great films do not get nominated. And I got to tell you, Undefeated is it, it should win. It's not going to, but it should. That's a I great th- film. It's a great film. And uh, I, I think Paradise Lost three will probably win just because it's not a great movie, but it's great journalism. And sixteen years trying to get people freed and and. Uh, you know, try to expose their innocence, uh, and then finally succeeding at doing it, that's going to win it for them. But I'll tell you, we got a lot of great docs that did and did not get nominated, and uh, we're going to roll through them really quickly because i got a pile of docs here that is insane. Uh, a chunk of it's been waiting for us to cover for weeks, and this is the week to do it. Uh, Hell and Back Again by uh, Dan Fung Dennis is, uh, we got this on Blu-ray. It is nominated for uh, Best Documentary this year. It's one of the few that, that one, of the, one of the handful there. We mentioned the other two. It's, uh, this, this one deserved it. Really? It, you think so? I think it did. You know, it is, um, it's an awfully good film. It's yet another uh, Afghan slash Iraq war film. In this case, it is actually Afghanistan. And uh, it centers basically on a... Um, uh, a particular assault that took place in 2009 in Afghanistan. And uh, it's really good. And one of the short films, by the way, one of the nominated documentary shorts, is like an interesting companion piece to this. Um, it's the... it's the uh, What's the exact title of it? Oh, Star you, Wars? No, it's... Um, uh, it's It's got Kabul in the title. But anyway... Kabul Wars? Exactly. Uh, I don't know it, why everyone loves... I, look, th- this movie is terrific. It, it, it follows a, a kid who uh, got injured in the war yeah. and... He's having trouble acclimating to uh, civilian life. He's got a girlfriend or a wife. He's got to take a bunch of drugs. He's going to doctors all the time. Liked it a lot. Post-traumatic stress, basically, yes. is, the, is, the, is the ultimate message of this thing. It's, yeah. Liked it a lot. Yeah. You, you could tell what they did is that the, the, the directors probably went to Afghanistan. It was Afghanistan, right? Yeah. They, they, they yeah. went to Afghanistan not knowing what they were going to get. Yes, And they exactly. wound up finding this kid. Who got injured just like a few days before he was uh, uh, scheduled to go home? Yeah, they found this kid. He gets injured a few days before he's scheduled to go home, and the directors probably thought, "Hey, you know what? This is the story now. Yeah, let's follow this kid home. Let's see if we can make this the story." Yeah, and that's it. Feels it's, like that's what happened. As opposed to let's tell the story of this kid, it became let's go into this combat situation and find the story. I think it. I think it's and, and it, yeah. It, I, you, there's a lot of stuff, but you did a much better job of that than I did. I, I didn't. I, you don't want to give away stuff, and it. That's you did a good job. You kind of orbited it without giving away everything. Yeah, but he dies very at the end. What? Nice. He dies at the end. Very nice. Exactly. Um, no, it 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 uh, it feels. It's almost like a like a documentary, a modern day documentary version of. Uh, is that good water? I'm so thirsty I for know. some reason. It's because you had salt. I did. I don't know. Maybe you did. I haven't eaten no, since it's, like, it's, uh, I've eaten like six hours. I'll cap this hours. off. It's it's a you know when when you watch something like the best years of our lives, which uh, won best picture in 1946, uh, amazing directorial effort by William Wyler, one of the great American films of all time. But it's all about coming home, and I feel like this is the war and coming home, and it really kind of wraps itself around more than just the trauma of war, but it 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 it, it encapsulates kind of a larger concern, and I thought it did a very very good job of it, very nicely shot. Uh, very moving. And uh, Dan Fung Dennis did a great job of it. Excellent audio commentary. Really, really looks nice on Blu-ray. haven't seen the DVD, so I can't compare, but I, recommendation for me. I uh, give it a uh, conditional recommendation. 
Good stuff. A little overpraised. Uh, another film I absolutely adore. This did not get an Oscar nomination. I wish it had. Oscilloscope, in their usual eco-packaging, uh, has released The Other F Word, and this absolutely brought me to tears. The Other F Word is fatherhood. And this is all about uh, punk rockers from uh, a certain generation who uh, they're familiar to you. Uh, it includes, you know, Mark Hoppus from Blink-182 and uh, Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Tim McGrath uh, or McElrath of Rise Against, um, a bunch of guys that just were all part of the real, you know, a certain punk movement who've all gotten married and had kids and become domesticated, but they haven't given up that punk side of them. Tons of great special features on here. Uh, Mark Mothersbaugh, by the way, is in this as well. Yeah. I never really considered him like a... a punk but um yes of course well devo devo is sort of quasi-punk i guess it was you know techno punk or something he's cool anyway, uh lars Fredriksson of rancid Ugh. yeah no it's rancid. lame yeah anyway no you got outtakes in here um you've got uh, a terrific commentary that includes you know uh jim Lindbergh, art alexis of uh, uh alex zakis of everclear I'm not pronouncing names very well. Alexicus. Everclear is a great band. I like him. He's talented. See, I was ever I never really followed Everclear. Everclear's cool. But I'll tell you, there's a moment in this film, and this is the only thing that I'll give away. It uh, the, to tell you, I mean, you might think this is just kind of a quirky, like, hey, look, they were punks and now they're they're soft and cuddly. No. There's a moment in here where Flea, of all people, is sitting there with his daughter, who is like drop dead gorgeous and conservative and looks like she's gone to an Ivy League school and she's blonde and you there's just a disconnect you're like how how did you help create I don't understand but uh, and she's a, like a concert pianist and she's so talented and Flea sits there and says you know people always talk about how you know I gave you life to their kids he goes no my kids gave me life and he starts crying and his daughter is there with him and it's just it's like this beautiful moment and Aww. And really, it's just terrific. And He's this cool. Film, this film is filled with that stuff. Flea is. Um, I I was reading once about you know Flea's obviously a, a you know accomplished bassist and he's in a huge band and he's yeah. rock and roller and he's got nothing to prove anymore. But you know, pretty recently, about a year ago, you know, Flea was taking serious music theory courses. Oh, Flea Flea has like a conservat a conservatory that he runs in Los Angeles. Yeah, he he's not kidding. No, he's cool. He's the real deal. Speaking of the real deal, uh, Wade, um, when I tell you that a documentary is narrated by Tim Robbins, what kind of documentary do you think that is? It's going to be a documentary. Um, a pro-Rick Santorum documentary? I think it's probably going to be a Rick Santorum uh, documentary about the importance of uh, waging war and, and uh, dropping a bomb on Tibet. <laughs> nuke Tibet. <laughs> nuke Tibet. Kill the whales, nuke Tibet. Exactly. That's what Tim Robbins is all about. Uh, no, it's a Revenge of the, of the Electric Car. Revenge <laughs> of the Electric Car is a bit like... Um, oh, it's the, it's the sequel, basically, to uh, Who, Who Killed, Killed the, the Electric, Electric car, car, which was terrific. It was terrific. This yeah. is very similar. You know, there was a... Uh, uh, everybody knows about this sort of conspiracy to kill off the EV1, which is the General Motors electric car. And, and they captured all of that conspiratorial stuff. I mean, that was the killer part in the first film, which is where they catch, catch the GM guy saying, none of these cars are going to be destroyed. They're all going to museums and research centers. Next shot, you in know, an, aer an aerial shot in the desert where they're destroying them. You know, they got into a helicopter and tracked it down. It was great. I mean, good investigative journalism. Well, this is similar because this talks about the Chevy Volt and the Nissan Leaf and the, uh, the Tesla and, uh, you know, the, even the Ford Fusion. And so it's all about the return of the electric car. You know, you know people make, you know, there, there's so many entrenched interests in keeping the electric car off the market that I don't know that it, it, electric cars will be the laser discs of the 
car world where I don't know that they'll ever – we would have to become much more enlightened as a society or we would have – or continuing to produce oil or buy oil if we're not going to become self-reliant on oil will become so untenable that the car companies will have no choice because I think ultimately – you know, people talk about what's good for the country, what's good for the pocketbook, what's good for society. Yeah. All that really matters is the entrenched corporations keeping power. And right now, getting us off oil does nothing to help any corporation. True. Keeping us dependent although, upon oil. Although, when people stop driving completely this summer and switch to bicycles because gas hits $5 a gallon, yeah, we'll see how that works out. Yeah, really. Them. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, you know what? If, 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 if you enjoyed Who Killed the Electric Car, you'll enjoy Revenge, although ultimately I think that Revenge will... I think the sequel to this film will be What Happened to the Revenge of the Electric Car. <laughs> uh, another great um, documentary. Uh, is it great, though? I don't know. Project Nim. Project Nim was directed by uh, James Marsh, who did it's, the Oscar-winning Men on Wire, which yeah, I love so much. It's great, but it's infuriating. And it, this did not get an uh, Oscar nomination, which is a little weird because Men on Wire won the Oscar. And, you know, a lot of people thought, well, once you're in the club, you're in the club. But apparently not, and and this got wide praise. But um, I think a lot of people felt the way that I felt, which is, yeah, it's a great doc. Yeah, it's really well made. But I, I, these people who they, they just don't understand, they're abusing an animal, and in the worst, most horrific, arrogant human way. And I just, I, I'm not an animal rights person, but this was beyond my ability to tolerate. It really was. It, it, Nim is a chimpanzee, and he was part of an experiment in the '70s where they took him out of the jungle, and they raised him like a child. They raised him like a human child to see if he could uh, communicate and speak and if they can teach him to be uh, close to human. And the results are in this film, Project Nim. It's a, it's, it's a fascinating film on the surface. I do agree with Wade where there's sort of and, – and I don't know that, that Marsh necessarily wanted this emotion to come to the fore – but there is a certain skeeviness to it where you realize what's being done to this animal. Um, the the point that where it really lost me was when they said uh, – they're like, oh, my gosh. And then we started to realize that this chimpanzee was – it had like some of the emotions of people. And I thought, really, you didn't realize that when you tore him away from his mother's breast and the, and the, and the mother chimp is screaming while you're shooting her with tranquilizers or whatever? That didn't occur to you that maybe those were human-like emotions too? These people are horrible. They're just awful. And I know that's the point, but it's not a pleasant film to watch. Good film, really good film, but steal yourself because it's, uh, it goes into some pretty unfortunate, dark, and challenging places. Wait. Mark, well, go ahead. You, you carry on. That's, that's, that's your bailiwick there. It is? Woody Allen, a documentary. This is, uh, this is big-time stuff. This uh, premiered on television uh, last you ra- you November. Ra- you, you saw this and you raved about it to me at the time because I had missed it and you were damn this right. This is great. There, you know what? The, uh, Robert Weedy... I think it's Weedy. He he just wore down Woody for years, saying, "Please let me do your story." And you know, Woody is not one of those self-reflexive guys. He does plenty of interviews, I guess, but he really, really resisted having a whole you know three-hour documentary made on his life. But eventually, uh, the director wore him down, and he did it. <clears throat> and the result is just great. I mean, uh, you've got a lot of great people interviewed, also uh, Meryl Hemingway, Scarlett Johansson, Diane Weiss, Owen Wilson, Chris Rock. Uh, Penelope Cruz, Scorsese, Diane Keaton, John Cusack, you know, Larry David. Uh, great group of people, including uh, actually someone we know, our friend Zach Weintraub's father, uh, Fred Weintraub. Yeah. Fred Weintraub, um, who opened, Fred's kind of a legendary guy. He opened and ran the Bitter End Club in on Bleecker in Manhattan uh, back in the day. And Woody Allen 
used to perform at the uh, bitter end. Yeah. And so Fred, who uh, I I know Fred and uh, and uh, Wade knows Fred's son Zach. Uh, Fred appears in this documentary. Uh, and I've met Fred. I had a I had a great lunch with Fred. It was he's just a raconteur. And you know Fred recently uh, released his autobiography. Yeah. And for the autobiography, he actually flew out to New York because Woody agreed to be interviewed for Fred's autobiography. That's great. And, you know, and, and Woody doesn't sit down and talk no. to everybody for their autobiographies. Yeah. But because they went back so far and because and Fred was so instrumental in Woody's early career, Woody said, you know, if you fly to New York, you can Sweet. talk to me. I'll give you quotes. We'll catch up. So it was great. Brilliant. So Woody Allen's documentary is just really good stuff. It was an American Masters doc on PBS. Highly recommended um, on DVD. It's probably streamable. Uh, but purchasable. Oh, no, get the DVD. Purchasable if uh, you're a Woody fan. I uh, got a bunch of beautifully, beautifully photographed uh, Blu-rays here. I'll kick through these really quickly. These are This is what you want when you just want to watch pretty pictures and show off your Blu-ray player. Uh, we got a couple of them here from uh, Mill Creek, which are from part of the National Parks Exploration Series. This is uh, the Black Hills and the Badlands Gateway to the West and the Everglades, a trop- subtropical paradise. And all of this is really, honestly, this is just travelogue stuff. It's just great high-definition photography of uh, the Everglades and uh, the Black Hills and the Badlands. And uh, it's just fabulous. You know, it makes you feel guilty if you sit around in front of your computer on Facebook and other things and just don't get out and breathe the fresh air and go and visit some of our, our national parks. And I think that and maybe what they're trying to do is just get people out and go there. You know, these are this is where you should be taking your vacations. It is gorgeous. Um, so, it, you know, if the Blu-ray makes you take a vacation it'll have done its job uh finding life beyond earth which is from pbs will not make you go there because you can't the search for extraterrestrial life is the subject here and this is great uh now it is of course you know uh, serious documentary stuff here we're obviously uh, using combination of actual space photography and cgi and uh you know, filling in the spaces between all of the fascinating, uh, updated elements of what we're doing to, you know, look for life in other worlds, which is fascinating. I mean, it really is compelling, and uh, it gets into all kinds of interesting scientific uh, approaches and theories and all the stuff that they're they're doing now that is very different from what they were doing, you know, 20, even 10, even 5 years ago. Uh, so, uh, you know, from that standpoint, it's it's really interesting stuff. Um, but just gorgeous to look at, really gorgeous to look at, and uh, very, very nicely done, part of Nova. And then um, originally screened in IMAX theaters is McGillivray Freeman's Greece, Secrets of the Past. Now, Mark, this is a nice travelogue of Greece, and uh, it's a great, uh, it's a great, like, you know, tourist commercial for uh, the country of Greece, which is falling apart as we speak because they, they can't pay their bills. They're, I mean, the country's literally broke. But so they need you to buy this thing. They need you to buy this. And if you're doing a great ad for come and visit Greece and spend your dollars here so that we can resurrect our economy, who are you going to get to narrate it? Oh, Anthony Quinn. No, no. Think of a thing because, see, he's dead. So, so it, with Anthony Quinn being dead, and he's like, he's like Mexican, too. He's half Mexican, half Greek or something, right? He's, yeah, he's Grexican. He's great. Thank you. Um, he's Grecian. I don't know. He's Grecian formula. No. Who is, who is the last surviving great Greek thespian in the world? There's only one. There's only one. You know her name. Oh, yes. She narrates this. Oh, God. 
Neovardalos. <laughs> terrible. Anyway. She really is kind of one of the last. Uh, what 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 are the Greek actors or actresses have you heard of? I, I, yeah, I've tried to I've tried to think of a, a, a joke that goes with you know Neovard that combines Neovardalos and the Greek debt crisis. No, I think I, I can't come up with one. I think Nia is a joke all by herself. Yeah, it must be. You know, anyway. uh, two documentaries that kind of went uh, unheralded, but I'm going to herald them here, Wade. Do it. Uh, Thunder Soul is a just a fun rock and roll, fantastic, big-hearted documentary. It is about uh, in the um, in the late '60s, early to mid '70s. There was a, a Texas high school, mostly African American, and they had a band. And this band was awesome. These high school kids. They won all these contests nationwide. They recorded albums. They traveled all over the world because they were this really cool band. And, of course, they broke up, you know, because they all graduated high school, went their separate ways. And this movie, Thunder Soul, is a reunion concert that was shot in 2008. And they shot it in honor of the band's uh, former teacher, who's 92 years old now. And it's all about these kids who were in this high school band in the late 60s, early early mid-70s getting together to honor their teacher and get back together, what happened to their lives, where they come from, how great was his band. And it's just all this great soul music. And But the movie's also very, it's bittersweet, and it's just great stuff. Thunder Soul, Jamie Foxx presents. Jamie Foxx saw it, put his name on it as an executive producer. Um, and it's just really good stuff. Special features include an audio commentary from the producer, Mark Landsman, and some uh, never-before-seen footage. Uh, and uh, it's good. Thunder Soul, great music, high school band, getting together after 30 years. Really, really liked it. Uh, this one I liked less, but still pretty interesting, is Bobby Fischer Against the World. Now, Bobby Fischer's story has been uh, told many times. Bobby Fischer, of course, the um, the American chess champion. And in and this, certified cook. And certified cook. Well, this Crazy man. Crazy man. And this movie, it's it really goes where a lot of these other movies have already gone, which is it tells a story about, you know, it starts with... It's the early 70s. Uh, chess, for some reason, was really big. Part of the reason why chess was big was because it was during the Cold War, and the Soviet Union was kind of using chess as a way to uh, as a way to demonstrate its superiority over the West. Yeah. But then this prodigy mm. named Bobby Fischer. Who's he, crazy. Who's did crazy. I, did I mention that? But he's an amazing chess player, and mm. he beat, uh, what's his name, uh, Boris Spatsky yeah. in a series of, of, of classic chess matches, which like we're, all over the world, people would talk yeah. about these chess matches. I know. I, I remember when I was a kid. It was unbelievable. And then Bobby Fischer uh, basically disappeared and went nuts. <laughs> Wound up in Iceland and being you know a what? tax evader or something. The, but the thing is, he only died a couple years ago. I know. I mean, he, he lasted a no, long time, but he disappeared for decades. So sad. So Bobby Fischer Against the World is the uh, story of Bobby Fischer and uh, chess and what happened to him and how the game sort of became this big metaphor for the Cold War. And uh, it's not bad. There are other movies about Bobby Fischer, which docs that are a little bit better, but I think this is a good a good primer on it. Bobby Fischer against the world, Wade. Uh, you know, the opposite of Project Nim, uh, not necessarily in terms it's Project of... Project Min. 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 That's Nim backwards. Nim. 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 It's also my grandmother's name. The opposite... Well, yes. The opposite of Project Nim would be Jane's Journey from First Run Features. I got six docs here I'm going to blow through real quickly. Three from First Run, three from PBS. Uh, all of them excellent. The, uh, this is the first from First Run. Uh, this is Jane's Journey, story of Jane Goodall, who, of course, was, is like the greatest friend that chimpanzees have ever had. Spent uh, half, a, half a century uh, living with them, studying them in Africa, and uh, this is lovely. 
it, it, it has, you know, interview footage, vintage footage from her actual own collection, stuff that she actually shot and was shot of her. And uh, it gives you a wonderful glimpse into who she was, what her work was. I mean, it's just a great profile doc and nothing revolutionary in the filmmaking. Probably nothing there that you haven't heard before, but it's really good. Uh, Sons of Tennessee Williams is uh, is an interesting film. I don't know how great it is, but it's certainly kind of... Um, I, I, I think the focus is a little bit off, uh, and I don't mean that cinematically. I mean it kind of narratively. It sort of goes in tangents that it shouldn't. But what it really does is it looks at uh, Mardi Gras. It has very little to do with Tennessee Williams. It sort of uh, looks at the at the gay rights movement and the the emergence of gay culture out of Mardi Gras in, uh, in New Orleans. And... Um, it uh, it it's it's an interesting film. I guess I, the best way to put it is, if you look at the compendium uh, compendium of movies that are about the gay rights movement and all of its various little little subplots that have taken place all over the country, this is a great addition to that. But I don't know that it stands alone very well. So in context with things like Life and Times of Harvey Milk and a lot of those other docs, I think it's a nice addition. But it's uh, it's not a great standalone doc. Uh, Piano Mania, also from First Run, is. Tremendous! This is unbelievable. One of the best docs of last year. I had hoped it might get an Oscar nomination, but it stopped. It didn't, and I guess I kind of understand why. It. Uh, this is a documentary about uh, Stefan Knupfer, who is the master chief technician and tuner in Vienna for Steinway, and basically he's the guy who makes the piano sound the way that it needs to sound for every great pianist in the world. All of these amazing pianists uh, rely on him to sort of make the piano into their own personal instrument. Oh, this note is holding too long. This strikes doesn't strike well enough. I need for it to have a more hollow sound. And, and half the time, the stuff they're asking him is completely ethereal, and it's like it doesn't. It's unrealistic. Could you make? It's like it's almost like saying, you know, that A sounds like flowers. Could you make it sound more like the smell of cheese? And he's somehow supposed to interpret those kinds of crazy demands and make it happen. And it's amazing. He does. It just it's really miraculous. The music is incredible. It is. It's a really really outstanding doc. Uh, now for the three from PBS, bombing Hitler's dams. Uh, is, uh, you know, you think you've seen it all for world, from World War II. Um, not at all. This was produced uh, for Nova as well. We just talked about Nova for the, um, for the space thing. Um, this is about a squadron of bombers who, in 1943, had to go and blow up a couple of German dams. And it's one of those, you know, every, like every mission from World War II is, is a story unto itself. And this one is a great one, and it really is riveting. It's put together beautifully. It's a fascinating story uh, that I'd never heard before and uh, very nicely called. Uh, the Long Walk of Nelson Mandela is absolutely superb and outstanding. This was a part of Frontline on PBS, and it, uh, it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful profile of Nelson Mandela. It's a it's feature length, 120 minutes, and uh, I've you know forget about like the bad HBO movie starring Danny uh, Glover and all the other documentaries that have attempted to really kind of be comprehensive. This is it. It's uh, it really really does take advantage of the, the distance that we've had in time to sort of get on top of who Nelson Mandela was, who he is, what he did, what he didn't do, and uh, this is at least for now I would say the definitive film on uh, Nelson Mandela. And then the last one from PBS is Lincoln's Secret Weapon. Um, you know what it was? Nunchucks. Wouldn't that be totally true? 
the uh, no, this is about the uh, the very first Ironclad, and uh, it's it's intriguing. I uh, I expected there might be vampires. I used to think I was thinking maybe Lincoln's secret weapon is uh, you know like a silver bullet or uh, garlic, something like that. But turns out Lincoln was not a vampire hunter. He was actually a, a president. Did you, did you know that? No, you didn't know that anyway. All right. Well, anyway, this is about the USS Monitor, and we all know the whole Monitor versus Merrimack thing. Um, but the um, it, this is really very intriguing, and I learned an awful lot. And I thought I knew everything from when I studied the, the Civil War in uh, in high school, but uh, not at all. So very nicely put together. This is also part of Nova, and uh, really uh, fills in a lot of those historical blanks that everybody thought they knew, but they don't. You know, Wade, there's the thing. You know what the uh, the the movie based on this the feature movie they were going to do Ridley Scott it, it, it got canned didn't it it's canceled I, I've heard nothing about it I think it's been canceled uh, because uh, it should not be made well, we're talking after about you, after you've done Prometheus are you really going to go and do this no <laughs> yeah, really under the boardwalk is the story of Monopoly I've always kind of wondered about Monopoly and you know how it developed and whether they had a monopoly on monopoly on whether they had a monopoly on board games at the time. So this is kind of cool. Things have been around for 75 years, Wade. I know. Isn't that amazing? But you know, it's, it's like the best board game ever. It really is. Well, the, the, the kind of the framing device is this uh, championship. Monopoly championship happens every four years. Yeah. In, I, could, uh, I could beat them all. In uh, Las Vegas. I'd beat them. I and, would. You know, and the thing is that uh, what's interesting about the documentary is that as it uses this championship as this framing device is that um, – you get a sense of these people and how Monopoly becomes an escape for some of them. It becomes a, a way for them to express their intelligence. And it's kind of interesting stuff. This uh, narrated by Zachary uh, Le- Levi, whatever his name is, from Chuck. The, peop- the people in this thing, they need to get a life, though. They really do. But you know what? All, every time you have a documentary about people with weird pursuits, yeah. they're weird. <laughs> That's it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have weird pursuits. So um, you know what? I recommend this only because... That's the only Monopoly documentary I know of, and it is kind of cool. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. Like, you, you, you sort of pick this up. You're like, you know what? I know nothing about Monopoly, and I want to know. Yeah. And this is for inquiring minds okay. who want to know. If you say so. Good stuff. Under All the right. boardwalk. Groovy. Uh, Elevate is a tremendous doc. I thoroughly enjoyed Elevate. I thought this might have a shot at uh, an Oscar nomination as well. Turns out it didn't. Uh, Elevate is a little bit like Hoop Dreams crossed with uh, Sugar, except Sugar, you know, is a, uh, which is about the uh, Dominican, the kid from the Dominican baseball farms who tries to make it in the, uh, the minor leagues in the U.S. That's a fictional film. Elevate is a documentary. And it is fascinating. I had no idea. This is about an academy, a private academy in Senegal, where kids from Senegal who have a, a, incredible aspirations of playing NBA basketball in the U.S., they are handpicked to go through this rigorous, rigorous program that doesn't just, unlike the baseball farms in the Dominican Republic, this is not just about teaching them basketball and helping them get in the NBA. It's about teaching them life and education and math and literature and everything that they need to know to actually have a career and help, you know, live and, and make and earn a living and perhaps even help their country if they even don't get into the NBA or if they get injured and have to, you know, uh, do something else. So, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful story, and it just opens your heart to these guys. They're so, so lovable, every last one of them. And, uh, like, you know, Undefeated is uh, kind of in the same vein as well, but I, I just thought this was great. Anne Buford did a tremendous job directing this, really lovely. And this is from Dokirama. Great movie. 
You know, Wade, uh, speaking of great movie, I don't know why this is not on Blu-ray. Why is this not on Blu-ray? I have no idea. Well, it, it is. They they just didn't send us the Blu-ray. Come on. It's the Hellstrom Chronicles. I know. You know the, the thing I asked. We, I, I asked. I said, you've got to send it to us on Blu-ray, and the, we didn't get it. The, here's the thing. The Hellstrom Chronicles is really cheap. There's one particular element. It won an Oscar in 1972. And the thing is that it's real. It's got one cheesy element, which hmm. is that in the movie there is a a famous entomologist. His name is Professor Hellstrom, and he is going to take us through the world. It sounds like a Bond villain of insects. Of all incest? this micro Yes, incest. Yes, like brothers and sisters sleeping together. You know it. Gross. Um, uh, if I only had a sister, I'd be getting laid. Finally, God. <laughs> It'll be so easy. <laughs> Thank you, folks. Good night. We've been canceled. Oh, my God. <laughs> Instead, i got to go on J-Date. Anyway, so uh, uh, all this like amazing micro-photography, which in 72 is a big deal, mm-hmm. of these insects, and it's all narrated by this guy, Professor Hellstrom. The funny thing is like that... a Bond villain. It really, know, does. It really does. The thing is that all the insect photography is real. Professor Hellstrom, totally made-up character. And in the movie... He's so cheesy. I mean, honestly, professor. He's basically like he's he's a cross between you know Gene Wilder in Young Frankenstein and like any Vincent Price movie. It's just such a cheesy. Like, why not just have a real professor? Instead, they created this this character who winds up telling you real information about the world of the insects. Now, I admit that at the time, the photography was amazing, and it still is really cool. Um, and it won an Academy Award for Best Doc in 1972. So, you know, it's definitely a famous movie. But I think part of uh, its appeal is the total cheesiness of this Professor Hellstrom character played by, uh, you know, Professor Hellstrom was played by, I think, Lawrence, uh, what's his name? Kazdan? No. Welk? <laughs> yes, played by Lawrence Welk. Tierney? Uh, Professor, uh, what's, what's the hell? Olivier? No, I'm going to look it up right now. Stop it. Okay. Me, eh, eh. Lawrence Pressman. <laughs> okay. It's the worst. I went through every Lawrence I could think yes, of. Yes, you did. Yeah. Of Arabia? Yeah. Larry, Larry of Araby? Yeah. Anyway, so it's a good doc because it, it was the photography groundbreaking for the time. The problem is you got to sit through this ridiculous conceit. I'm going to try and still get the Blu-ray. They, they got to send us the Blu-ray. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Well, the whole point yeah. is, is that the photography was revolutionary for the time. don't know what the deal is. Come on, Olive Films. you got to send us a... Stupid us a, Olive Films. We, we need the Blu-rays. We love Olive, actually. We've got some other Olive titles here that we're going to... Oh, it's... I love Olive, too. Blue they, cheese, they Olive. No, they sent us Blu-rays of these other ones, and I'm so glad because they are just priceless. Uh, another doc that should have been nominated for the Oscars this year. This is, uh, again, a Frontline release. Uh, but it was released theatrically before it was on Frontline. Steve James, The Interrupter. Steve James, of course, one of the co-directors of Hoop Dreams, which we mentioned a second ago. And uh, this is a really, really fascinating documentary. I'm, what amazes me is his is how he manages to be invisible here in a way that is like reality television invisible, except reality television cameras are never invisible. Everyone knows they're there. Uh, this is, this is, uh, takes place in a really bad inner-city neighborhoods in Chicago where uh, violence is just rampant. And they, there, there's a program 
where people, uh, volunteers, go out as violence interrupters. And their job is to go into the – like anytime there's a situation that's about to inter- erupt into violence, somebody might stab somebody else, gang warfare, whatever, they intercede. And not to get anybody arrested, not to, to you know, humiliate anybody, they intercede to try and defuse it. And it's a fascinating idea because it says we're going to change violence in these communities not by arresting all the criminals, not by you know putting people undercover, not by all of these traditional police means. We're not even going to do it with police work. We're just going to get people to stop being so angry. We're going to walk in. We're going to calm them down like you do almost with children. And it's really interesting. And he, the fact that Steve James gets into these situations with his camera, and nobody even looks at the camera. They just they, they take it for granted. And uh, that's the amazing thing about this. It is, uh, it, it's, just, it's almost as if there's some kind of hypnotic effect that he has on people that he's able to do this in Hoop Dreams and here. Really an outstanding film. Uh, they sent it to us on Blu-ray and on DVD. Uh, the, you know what? It, it, it works beautifully on either one. Uh, but PBS does such a good job with their Blu-ray transfers. Even though this isn't any kind of a cinematic achievement, i got to recommend the Blu-ray because it just it, it somehow makes these situations feel so much more real and visceral. Um, special features include almost an hour of deleted scenes in a trailer. Not really necessary. The movie works all on its own, so, um, and it's already over two hours. Really outstanding. You know, wait, speaking of outstanding, uh, I was prepared to hate this, World War II in 3D, but here is the situation. People do not realize that, uh, we've talked about this, but that how old 3D photography actually is, even though it's, you know hasn't been perfected, it's always yep. been a little bit flawed, but you realize that 3D three, that material was shot during World War II. I mean, Which the, I, I mean, didn't know. That's, the, a, that's weird to me. There were 3D reconnaissance aerial photographs. They, I mean, they're, they're aerial, aerial reconnaissance photographs shot in 3D. Gnarly. There was a Nazi propaganda film, which is actually included on this uh, on this DVD, shot in this Blu-ray, shot in 3D Bitchin. in, in 1943. So we are talking, this is not just like a gimmick, like let's take old war footage and, uh, and make it into 3D. This really is great moments of World War II that actually were shot, originally shot in the 40s in 3D. Now, obviously, it never really took off, but still, I guarantee you, I've never seen any of this material before. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff in it. It's called World War II in 3D. It's from the folks at the History Channel. You'll get, you know, this propaganda film, which is great. You'll get shots of Hitler, which is great, you know, because it's for its historic value. Uh, the picture looks great. The audio is great. Uh, there are no extras in this thing, but you will find a little slice of history, World War II history you never knew existed, which is Sweet. that there was 3D in effect stuff being shot in 3D during World War II, and that material is on this Blu-ray. Sweet. Now, of course, you need glasses, which Sweet. we all hate. You know, uh, I, I was, when we got this, I was like, you know, what they often do with PBS and a lot of these things, especially the American Experience uh, titles, it'll, it'll air, and then it'll be on DVD like the next day. And uh, that's what happened with uh, Clinton. It all began with hope. Part of the American Experience series, and I thought, oh, great, you know, this is like yesterday. Are we really ready for Clinton, Doc? And then I thought, holy crap, this is like 20 years ago. Dude, it's been 20 years since Clinton was elected. 20 years. Was it 90, uh, 92, two. man. 92. It's been 20 years. Oh, my God. I mean, 19, basically, but, I mean, come on. Well, Jeez. you're old. You're old. Holy wait. cow. You're old. Anyway, um, and uh, do we have enough perspective to really kind of look back on the Clinton years? 
Yeah, actually, we do. It's funny how much this suddenly seems like ancient history, especially when you look at how young Bill and Hillary were at the time. Um, wow, really, really kind of creepy. Makes me feel old. Um, this is great. Absolutely great. And everybody went on the record here. Uh, you know, it's everybody from like uh, Dee Dee Myers to Bernie Nussbaum, uh, Leon Panetta. They're, they're, all, they're all interviewed here. Um, but you know who the best interview subject is here? It's amazing. I, I just... I, the, the guy, regardless of what you think of him as an economist and, and all the jokes about his height and all the rest of that stuff, Robert Reich is a great storyteller. Oh, he's cool. Th- that guy is a great storyteller. I mean, I know a lot, you know, he's a very divisive figure politically, but th- the guy knows how to absolutely capture your attention. And his, well, he is just a magnetic figure here. Uh, this is on DVD and on Blu-ray. Get it on Blu-ray. It is great. It really is great. I know a lot of the, the vintage, or vintage, listen to me. Uh, a lot of the uh, the archival television stuff from the early 90s is not uh, originally in high def, and clearly you can tell that, but the interviews are, and it really, really benefits from watching it in high def. It really gives you kind of that sense of scale and importance. Uh, Wade, let me tell you something. Tell me. Tell me something. <laughs> um, in the late 70s and early 80s, there was a film movement that a lot of people uh, don't know about because it kind of faded. It was called No Wave. And No Wave was a bunch of really young kids in the late 70s and early 80s. They were living in the, uh, a lot of them were living, living in the Lower East Side of New York. And they had no money, but they had talent and they had a camera. And they would shoot these little shoestring budget DIY movies. Now, the, uh, the genre was called like No Wave. That was the name of their as, as a group. As opposed to New Wave. It was a yes. yeah, play on that. Sure. And a documentary maker actually captured, recaptures all these great filmmakers and weird little low budget. A lot of them were terrible, but a lot of them were really interesting movies in a doc called Blank City. Now, the, the No Wave movement wound up uh, kind of fostering and launching the careers of people who went on to great heights, including uh, Steve Buscemi. Wow. Uh, he was a no-wave guy. Jim Jarmusch, he was a no-wave guy. No kidding. Uh, Debbie Harry. Uh, John Waters wasn't a, a no-wave guy, but he was. He definitely appreciated it coming from Baltimore. But um, this is just a really interesting documentary of a time and a, and a sort of a – cinematic, you know, historical blip that has been really forgotten. So you get a lot of clips from the No Wave movies. You get interviews, recent interviews with people like uh, Steve Buscemi, who, of course, remember how that those early movies sort of shaped his acting style. And uh, it's great stuff. It's really, it's very Warholian kind of looking stuff. Uh, a lot of these movies are not great. Wow, well, well done, Kino. But there's, uh, yeah, Kino. We, we we love Kino. That's nice stuff. This is Blank City is on DVD and Blu-ray, so I would definitely get the Blu-ray. Even though, of course, these these movies are so old and black and white and grainy and just a lot in horrible condition. But still, it's uh, Blu-ray, and we want people to buy Blu-rays, so we keep doing this podcast. Totally. Um, anyway, Blank City. Uh, is a terrific doc of a of a completely forgotten uh, movie genre. All right, I'm going to blow through some fluff here real quickly to cap off docs, and then a couple of things from vintage TV. Uh, the Windsors from George to Kate is from the Athena line. Of, George to Kate, Mr. Sulu. Uh, no, no, from George to Kate. George no, to Kate, Mr. George, Sulu. George to Kate. 
Okay. The I'm, gonna win- keep, I'm gonna keep saying that until you say yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely, actually. absolutely. George Takei. I have friends that uh, are always posting his Facebook stuff, reposting it. How come all of a sudden he's my Facebook friend? Honestly, George Takei. <laughs> I, I I start getting his Facebook. Th- I I I don't I don't know George. Although you know what, I saw George Takei twice in two days. I know. I was there at one of them. Which which one was that? When we were at the uh, academy, when he walked right past us. I don't know what movie were we. Oh, uh, right. Uh, I don't know. What was movie the was. artist? It was the artist. It could have been. Yeah, it was the artist. And the then artist the next training. day, I, next day I saw him at the uh, at the Baja Fresh across the street from my office, asking for a spoon. <laughs> I, I'd like a spoon. <laughs> oh my! I'd like a spoon for my soup. Oh gosh, what a joke! Anyway, this is from uh, Acorn's Athena line, which is their educational line. This is the Windsors from George to Kate to Kate. And it's just the, it's a, you know, this is for people who just love, they can't get enough of the Windsor royal family. So it gives you the full, the full chronology, the full genealogy all the way through. And, uh, it, it, you know, in the wake of the king's speech and, uh, and uh, Madonna's incredibly misguided W.E., uh, there's been, you know, obviously in the wedding is yeah, everybody's into the into the Windsors now. So that's uh, that's there for your your fluff satisfaction, even though it's done in a very scholarly way. And then Taylor Swift, American Beauty, the unauthorized documentary. Oh my gosh, I like her. I think she's cute and adorable. I like her songs, but you know, really, I'm I'm I can't. I it's whatever. You know, seriously. So uh, this is kind of a cheesy documentary, but for people that just love their Taylor Swift, there you go. And then uh, lastly, you got a trio of vintage television classic TV uh, compilations here. Lawrence Welk. I grew up on Lawrence Welk. My parents loved Lawrence Welk. Uh, and then I was embarrassed that I, I ever saw an episode, and now I watch it again. And uh, you know what? There's a really great nostalgia factor here, especially considering that a lot of this stuff was, was before I was even born. Uh, this is four, uh, a bunch of episodes from the Lawrence Welk show, all of them on four different discs, and uh, it's like, uh, what is it, about 12 episodes here? Yeah, 12 episodes, all from the uh, the early to the mid to the late 1960s, and, uh, you know, it's just it's freaking Lawrence Welk and his band and doing thing that he does with the, you know, the bubbles and all of that stuff. And then... Um, from the same people who released that, the Synergy Entertainment people, is That Show with Joan Rivers from 1968, part of the Synergy Archive collection. And uh, this is uh, 18 episodes on three discs of That Show with Joan Rivers, which I had never even heard of. And uh, it's, a, it's a great little kind of television artifact, especially when you consider some of the people that she had as, uh, as guests and some of the bits. It's great. Johnny Carson is on here. Uh, Soupy Sales, Steve Lawrence, Dick Cavett, Florence Henderson, uh, it just, it's Jerry Lewis, who we're going to talk about more in a second. It's amazing. It's really amazing. It's a great little, uh, little kind of time capsule from a classic television era that I was probably vaguely a part of and, and vaguely remember, but never heard of this show. So, And then also... From the David Susskind show, David Susskind had um, did a lot of great, great interviews back in the 70s, and uh, they're slowly releasing a few of these from, uh, from S'more, and uh, this is entitled, Mark, you're going to love this, you ready? Hmm. How to be a Jewish son. I'm a Jewish son. You bet you are. Uh, and this is an episode that it features Mel Brooks, George Siegel, and David Steinberg. David Steinberg directed movies, movies for a while after he was a stand-up comic and then just kind of faded away. But he did a few really decent movies. George Siegel still kicking he it strong. He does TV. Uh, 
Uh, Steinberg. Steinberg still directs TV? Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. He's cool. He is cool. Should do movies. Sitcoms. He directs sitcoms. George Siegel, who still is alive and kicking and uh, all over the place as a musical performer and an actor. And Mel Brooks, of course, who just never, ever, ever goes away. Thank goodness. Um, and you know what? Suskin is a great interviewer, and uh, this is this is just wonderful. So absolutely check this out. It is... Um, it's it's just it's great great interview and a lot of life wisdom here you know forget about the whole uh, Jewish aspect of it and you know there are, there are others here as well you get uh, people who are just sort of famous figures who also happen to be Jewish great businessmen and so forth and uh, they all kind of weigh in on this but the the real figures are uh, Mel Brooks George Siegel and David Steinberg and it's terrific I loved George Siegel growing up he was cool super cool. Totally, totally the man. I did. Fun with Dick and Jane. Love it. Uh, wait, here's uh, three movies that could not be more different. Uh, let's start with Paranormal Activity 3. Why does this movie exist? You know, I didn't even know that 2 came out. You know, well, you know what? Uh, one was a huge uh, uh, success. Two was a big disaster. This one is a bit in the middle. It's actually not horrible. Uh, there's a little more character stuff going on. Uh, a lot of cheesy stuff. I get the boo, the fake outs, and the jolts. I, I that stuff is so so tired. But you know, I just there's no other, there's no other way to tell these found footage stories. You know, the whole found footage thing is just. I'm getting very tired of it. Just, very come, tired. Come on, people, stop it. Um, although you know what, Chronicle. You know, that's an interesting yeah, take on that kind whole situation. Of, kind of, sort of. But even that's not really found footage. That's more more like. It, it sort of is. Well, it, sort so of is. It, it cheats. It, it cheats. It cheats, but it does it in a way that's consistent with the story he's telling. They're these superhero kids, and they want to they they want to tape what they're doing. And of course, if you're a superhero, you could make your ca- you can make your camera steady. You can make your own camera steady because you're a superhero. So that's the conceit. That's the way they get around all the found footage, shaky cam stuff. They say that these kids are so smart that they are able to steady their cameras. Um, anyway, uh, Paranormal Activity 3, not like that. This is um, better than number two, not as good as number one. I don't like any of them. Um, but it looks, uh, you know, it does look great on Blu-ray only because it's all found footage stuff. It's not supposed to be amazing looking. Uh, anyway, you know, some cheesy scares, uh, whatever. Yeah, okay. beautiful. Exactly. Wade, finally on Blu-ray, Wade... Is love story? Oh my gosh! You know what love? You know what love means? It means never having to say "Go to hell, bitch." <laughs> oh wait, that's not what it is. <laughs> love means never having to say you're sorry. One of the you know what? This was such a phenomenon. This, it was such a phenomenon at the time. It really, I mean, I, I, this I thing even, was nominated for seven Oscars. I even remember what a phenomenon this was. This was, and this was one of the first big smashes. Uh, that um, that Bob Evans had as head of Paramount. I mean, this was one of the first things where he was like, "This is yeah, this is what I can do," and and it was kind of resurrecting Paramount Pictures as a major studio for the first time since Zanuck. This is 1970, and it's it, this is a this is unabashed tearjerker. This is like the the proto unabashed tearjerker. This is Ryan O'Neill plays a Harvard Law student. Ali McGraw is a uh, music student, and um, they fall in love and get married, and it's what happens in their relationship. And yeah. it's based on a book by Eric Siegel. The one th- I, I, I will give it to the, I will give this to the film. Uh, it's it's a pretty intelligent adult tearjerker. Yes, it's mawkish. 
and it's sentimental and it's sad and it's all that stuff that you know it to be. But there's something kind of adult about it. You know what I really, love? What? And you know what I love also because not too long ago I watched uh, What's Up Doc and what's if you if you watch this, you have to get Love Story and What's Up Doc, which was made like the following year. Um, you you have to get them both on Blu-ray and watch them back to back because What's Up Doc actually kind of makes fun of this. There's a joke in What's Up Doc that doesn't make sense unless you've seen this. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, I'll tell you afterwards. I bet you will. Anyway, love story. Uh, Blu-ray. You know what? Get it for your parents. Your parents will totally, totally dig it. There's a commentary by director Arthur Hiller. Oh, which that is, uh, pretty good. Little Walter, uh, little Arthur Hiller with the big hair. <laughs> he has such a huge head of hair. He's like he's like he's like three foot two, and his hair weighs maybe 170 pounds. Did I say Walter Hiller? You may have, but I said Arthur Hiller. Yeah, That's okay. Okay. Anyway, love story. You're thinking of Walter Houston. You get them confused. They're oh. so similar. Oh, of course. Uh, anyway, love story. A, cl- a seven-time Oscar nominee, a, 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 a love story classic. Yes. Finally on Blu-ray. Speaking of finally on Blu-ray, Wade, Disney's Lady and the Tramp. This is, uh, you know, this is a beautiful film. One of the one of the all time great animated films. This I mean, this is, is this is Disney at their very best. Nineteen fifty. This actually, you know, this is actually the first Disney film that was in Cinemascope. This was in this was in Cinemascope. Yeah, and so it looks gorgeous and it's fantastic. You know, it's it's funny. It's on well the, written. Everything it just clicks on all cylinders. Yeah, you know, on on the cover is of course this famous spaghetti scene, mm. and what people don't know, but they'll know now, is that originally Walt Disney almost cut this scene. He thought really? he did. He thought that it looked stupid. The idea that two dogs would, you know, eat spaghetti. So uh, the animator, I think, he's one of the, you know, one of the nine wise, yeah, wise men. One of the one of the ten, one old, the ten, men, or old, ten men or ten, yeah, whatever they were. He actually wound up animating the whole thing himself just to prove to Walt Disney that this was a viable scene, and so uh, he did. Pretty Dis- great. Disney watched it. Watched the new scene, loved it. Said this is in the movie, and it wound up becoming one of the most iconic shots in film history. Amazing. And uh, it's just great stuff. Lady and the Tramp, uh, it's a two-disc combo pack. Blu-ray and DVD. There's some great high-def um, extras on this. Uh, deleted scenes. A deleted song, which is super cool. That is, it is actually really good. I'm, surp- I'm surprised it didn't make the movie, personally. Um, and there's, a, uh, there's some stuff on uh, Walt Disney Story Meetings, which is, very, which is great for archive purposes. There's a making-of documentary. It's really good stuff. Lady and the Tramp. Come on, how can I get it? You know, you know, uh, it up. and that contrasts with the inexplicably Oscar-nominated Puss in Boots from DreamWorks Animation, uh, Antonio Banderas. You know, there is a uh, there's there, there there's there's a a push now to get rid of the animated category. You know, the animated category is not that old. I know it was like 1990 or something. Yeah, and I think I think it's ridiculous that it exists. And I think at this point, with Toy Look, Story three and Wall-E, someday there'll be a film, an animated film, that will win Best Picture. Yes. And you know what? Let's be honest. And before, you know, we're running out of time here. We're going to kick it up. But when we could do away with that category and all the clips that they have to show at the Oscars and we could bring the, the song category back and have some musical numbers and not really prolong the length of the show. What would you want? You want to honor more animated films? Because they're all crap. They are. They're yeah, all crap. But, yeah, but you can't bring back song because uh, there's, there's no songs in movies anymore. Oh, yes, there are. The, the Muppet song this year that's going to win the Oscar, it's wonderful. I, I, you it's know a what? great song. It's I, a great all song. All three of those Muppet songs, in the, the three original yes. songs, I thought they were great. Yeah. I like the first song even better, the one that opens the film. That's the one that's nominated. No, it's not. Isn't it? Isn't that it's the one? It's Man or a Muppet. 
Remember the remember the one like the uh, one he sings the soft one the soft one he sings that's like, the one that's nominated yeah the mayor and then that 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 kid from the sitcom shows up whatever his name is uh, I forgot his name Jim Parsons shows up Th- that's the one that's nominated that's the one that's nominated are you Ma- serious Amanda not Irma. not the opening number no what are they crazy and I love that opening that opening that that's opening number is great. Oh, I'm so it's disappointed. Totally what, it's hummable. I didn't even pay attention to those nominations. I just saw Muppet nominated. I thought it was a, that opening song. Oh, nope. that's ridiculous. Nope. That's absurd. And, I'm, and I, I, that was disappointing to me, too, because I think that opening song is terrific. Just All right. Terrific. Well, Puss in Boots, it's a spinoff from Shrek. Whatever. I, you know, it, it just there's just no point to this film. And I don't know why it got Oscar nominated. It's not that great of animation. It's just, it's really, really by the numbers. Very, very boilerplate. It's a three-disc combo pack, uh, Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray... DVD, digital copy, yawn, all of them on here, and uh, all the extras are just the usual promotional crap with, uh, you know, trivia and animators and, and uh, featurettes, everybody just talking about how wonderful this thing is, and it, it just isn't. And, you know, 3D, who cares? It's just whatever. Go get Lady in the Tramp instead. That's what you want. All right, Mark, we're going to uh, wrap things up and uh, hopefully get to a few other titles here, but we've got to talk about Jerry Lewis. Just for a second, we've got to talk about Jerry Lewis, oh, because Jerry, and Jerry Lewis, let me tell you, this is Jerry Lewis week. Jerry Lewis week, Mark. Dud. Glad you're glaving. Thank you, Corey, for chiming in, sort of. Uh, the first one we have here is Jerry Lewis as the jazz singer. This is originally a television broadcast um, in uh, 1959. Vanished. Impossible to find. Now fully restored in, uh, in color from uh, Jerry's own personal archives. And uh, I got to tell you, it's this is really f- all. It's unbelievably weird and cool and fascinating. This is uh, a basically a tribute to um, the the character in the original Al Jolson film, uh, Cantor Rabinowitz. Right? You realize that that this is this was Jerry's mindset. Yes. When he created the day the clown cried. Yes, it was. Absolutely. I mean, he was in this weird, creepy, serious. You know, crying on the inside, kind yeah. of a clown thing. Hey, you know what? It's this is this is this is uh, Jerry doing it, it, really kind of manifesting his inner artist uh, for television in 1959, and I think it's terrific. It's an hour long, and uh, it's just it's just really really fascinating and really good. Everybody um, needs to go online right now and look up the day the clown cried. One of the greatest boondoggles. Oh, but you know in what? Film history. And then here we go. Thanks to. The wonderful people at All of Films, wonderful people at All of Films. We want them to know they're wonderful. They have given us three Jerry Lewis classics on DVD and on Blu-ray. The first Jerry Lewis films on Blu-ray. So what's up, Paramount? What's wrong with you? Why can't you give us your big Jerry Lewis collection on Blu-ray? Because Olive has gone and done it. Here are the films. Boeing, Boeing, spelled like the airplane. Rockabye Baby and The Geisha Boy. Now the real, the, the prize here is The Geisha Boy. And it is just one of the best ever. Um, this is one where Jerry Lewis is a musician who goes on a USO tour um, of Japan and Korea. And uh, it's got some of the, the, his friendship with this little kid, this little Japanese boy, is just so wonderful. It is so honest. It is so ahead of its time. Um, absolutely terrific. Directed by Frank Tashlin, who, of course, was a great animator, uh, animation director, who did a lot of Jerry Lewis movies, including Cinderella. And um, it, it's just, this is top-notch, Jerry, through and through. And the, the Technicolor that you get out of the Blu-rays is stunning. Absolutely stunning. Olive is a little company that's basically been doing a lot of um, licensing. And, of course, these are, as all of Jerry Lewis's films are basically Paramount. They licensed these from Paramount, who was going to do nothing with them. And uh, good thing, because it's great, great stuff. The, the, the transfers are bright, they are colorful, they are detailed, they do an honor 
to Blu-ray. And, uh, you know, Jerry Lewis's movies were so colorful already at the time. He used color in more innovative ways, and the directors that he worked with used it in more innovative ways than a lot of other uh, filmmakers were in the heyday of color, just because Jerry understood that color was a tool, not just a step beyond uh, black and white. So absolutely gorgeous stuff here. And i got to tell you, Tony Curtis in Boeing, Boeing, pretty great as well. Tony Curtis, uh, he really, really nails it. Um, this was uh, originally a stage production, so it's a little bit more static than what you'd normally get in a Jerry Lewis movie, but it's still quite good. And then, of course, Rockabye Baby is just straight-up wonderful silliness, also directed by Frank Tashlin. And uh, sensational, absolutely sensational in Blu-ray, even uh, even though it's, you know, sort of on the, the, uh, the lower end of uh, the more visually enthralling Jerry Lewis films. But uh, anyway, Jerry Lewis, hopefully this kickstarts things so that we get more Jerry Lewis movies on, uh, on Blu-ray. And with that, we're done. Mark, what are you doing for Oscar Sunday? I gotta work. You gotta... Oh, lame. I haven't seen the Oscars in like six years, because I always have to work the Oscars. That sucks. Because I work at a major entertainment cable network. Well, I'll be in my pajamas, and I'll be thinking about you. Email us, gods at digigods.com. Wait, wait, wait. You'll, You'll be in your pajamas thinking about me? Yeah. I don't like the way that sounded.
and very disappointing way. We had no audio questions. Nobody sent us an audio question. This no, week, guys, we get to the program. We love your audio questions. Gods at digigods.com. Record it, send it. We'll play it on the show. And we'll even answer it. 